You know, I really do believe that a carrot works much better than a stick. You know, I think culture is one of the most difficult things and it's not something you do overnight. You really need to think long term in, in this. Hello there and welcome to the podcast No Stone Unturned from Seppels. In this podcast, we tell you all about real estate and ESG in the Netherlands. What are the latest developments in ESG? And what do you really need to know before investing in Dutch real estate? Listening to this podcast allows you to become a real frontrunner. I am Charlotte Harmsen and in this episode I'm going to talk about practice what you preach. All this talk about ESG is nice, but how do companies get their own house in order? My guest of today is Pauline Bottema, General Counsel and Corporate Secretary at Edge Technologies. Welcome Pauline. Thank you Charlotte. Good to be here. Good to have you. Um, you just started at Edge three months ago. Um, and Edge is, of course, for the listeners that don't know it, uh, a real estate developer concerned about ESG for many years. How important was ESG for you before starting at Edge? Well, I think ESG has always been part of my job, always been part of my interest. Uh, I started off as a lawyer at the South Axis. And there, of course, it was all about corporate social responsibility, CSR at the time. So we did a lot on initiatives for social uh, f- social causes, but also looking at the uh, responsibility that we have internally. It was very important for law firms, of course, to um, support various their diversity within the law firm. So in that sense, we always paid a lot of attention to it. Uh, afterwards, I moved to Rye Amsterdam, which is an event center in the middle of Amsterdam. And there, too, of course, we had a lot on corporate social responsibility and moving much more. You see that now people move much more into the E, the environmental part of it. Um, Rye Amsterdam is a big part of the city and was able to do a lot of, for the environment, for the neighborhood, but also creates a lot of waste with the events that they organized. So. For this waste, we really had to find a way to uh, deal with it. And the city of Amsterdam also asked that of us, to have a plan for each event, how to work, how to process our waste. So for Rye Amsterdam was always a big issue. And we really tried to uh, implement it in our culture. And I see that now also with Edge. So Edge for me was really a reason, you know, to work for a company that wants to, that strives to do better, better in this area. And uh, Edge has come very far in that sense. Definitely, I think it's one of the front runners in the in the Dutch real estate market. And the Rye, I think all our listeners might know it best from the Provada Real Estate Fair. Sure. Of course, we have yearly, so you can imagine what uh, yeah amount of waste um, gets thrown away after an event like that. Uh, all the bitter balls uh, that go sure. that go to yeah, waste. Yeah. And uh, now your job at Edge. Um, how does Edge bring ESG into practice? If 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 it's possible to to Um, explain that to us in a short uh, amount of time. Yeah, sure. So Edge's slogan is the world needs better buildings. So it really focuses on the uh, ESG part of it. I think it does that in several ways. Um, First of all, on well-being. We really want to create buildings where people strive. So in that sense, to create a a building that is better, that really um, wants employees want to come and work in that building. The second part, of course, is the design. We really believe that life comes first and not last in our buildings. Um, thirdly, we have the sustainability, of course, the E side of the things. Uh, we go beyond sustainability labels. We really want to strive for innovation and find new products that bring sustainability into our buildings. And lastly, technology. So we try to think of things that are innovative, 
that make it better for people to work in. We have a, a subsidiary Edged Next, which really implements this. So, for instance, that you know in a in a um, in a room how much oxygen is being used, how many people are using that room at what time, how much energy the room uses. Especially now in times of COVID, that has been very interesting because people want to know how healthy a place is, how healthy is their work environment. So, you know, you see that even with COVID now, it's really become a topic and that uh, this Edge Next initiative that we started several years ago has really given it wings. And um, um, coming from the South Axis as a lawyer to uh, the RAI Event Center, always concerned with ESG or corporate social responsibility, why did you move into the real estate sector? Because it's 40% of, uh, of carbon emissions come from the real estate sector, uh, from the built, built environment. So why not um, move into a sector that is already very sustainable? Or I think especially in sectors where there is a lot of, um, that contribute a lot to this carbon emission, I think in those sectors, it is really the place to make a difference. Just like at Rye Amsterdam that creates a lot of waste, that is the place to make a difference. And I think these companies are really looking, how can we make this difference? And I love the way that Edge really has stepped forward and has become a first mover in that area. So I really hope that it continues to do so. And we, are, we have plenty of initiatives within the company at the moment to try to be, remain a first mover and set an example in that area. And that for me was very logical to move into this area. And how important is it for Edge to, to stay ahead of the competition, to, to yeah, remain that front runner? I think it's more about setting an example. You know, if you have found a way to implement ESG into your company and you're able to uh, show what it means for the company and also the benefits it gives a company, others will follow. And I think that having this edge, the reason of course, uh, having this edge then creates uh, the possibility to set this example and for, you know, to remain, keep the initiative and to remain innovative and keep thinking of new ideas. I think the culture within edge is that way. So it's, we have this platform through which to constantly look, look at new initiatives on how we can better ourselves in that area. And how do you think the, the rest of the real estate uh, sector is, is working on ESG um, topics? I think everybody has an intrinsic motivation to do this. Everybody is looking, okay, you know, we're building all the time. How can we, we and there's such a big carbon footprint that we have. What can we do about this? Um, I think with the SDGs from the Model United Nations, of course, that has really put it on the agenda together with this ESG topic. So people are much more seeing, okay, how can we do this? How can we pl implement it in our, um, in our companies? How can we do this? And of course, yeah, you have a legal background. Mm -hmm. um, how important are uh, government rules and legislation to achieve these ESG targets? Yeah, good question. I mean, I'm, you're talking to a lawyer. No, I do believe that we do need legislation in this area because I think, um, you know, it always, it costs a lot of money and resources. So people, although they are intrinsically motivated, they do need a little bit of, of a push. And I think once we have that push and in the right direction, then it automatically starts to get the ball rolling. So you see this now with the non-financial reporting directive where um, companies are asked to actually uh, for their investors to say what they are doing in terms of sustainability. And the next step is coming now next year into the um, Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. So really working with audits so that investors 
can actually see, okay, what are we doing and what are we able to measure it? I think investors need to know that. Uh, and I think having companies have this legislation and telling them, okay, you have to report on this also uh, pushes them to ha make it part of their business and to really incorporate it in their business and the, in their culture. And once it's in their culture, people will automatically start to uh, roll it out much more. And the, the reason why I'm asking this is because um, we also hear a lot of companies, clients and relations um, uh, having difficulties with the reporting obligations because it's a lot. I mean, if you, if you read the EU taxonomy, it will take you uh, weeks. Um, and I'm afraid maybe it's taking away a bit of the focus on, on where you want to go. So an intrinsic motivation uh, for a better sustainable uh, and built environment. Um, do you think the legislation is a uh, is a driver of change, or is it also a bit of um, um, holding companies back because it's so uh, complicated? Yeah. No. And you know, I really do believe that a carrot works much better than a stick. So I would hope it needs to be a driver. But I think also in this sense, we we shouldn't overcomplicate. So I think we need to have people internally that, that are able to audit, that are able to report. We need to have this because investors need to know what they, you know, what is actually happening within a company. But I also think that there needs to be a platform of people that actually have the responsibility to implement uh, new initiatives. And these are not necessarily the people reporting on it. So, you know, you need to have the culture within the company to always look further and to see, okay, where can we start with new things? And then the reporting comes afterwards. And is that um, a role that the board of a company needs to play? Or do you see another platform, like an innovation platform or a group of young professionals or... I really think it works both ways. You know, you saw that co corporate social responsibility, the CSR used to really be part of branding. You see it much more moving into innov innovation, which I think is where it should be because it shouldn't just be part of your commercial branding uh, story. I think it be, should be much more, again, as part of your culture. Uh, I think it starts with the board creating a, a tone at the top where really to support ESG. But uh, as we do within Edge, it's the board that really has the strategy on the E side of it. But we also have created a platform of people that are interested within the company to really work on the ESG side and come up with new ideas of what they want to do on the various topics, on E, on S, and on G. And it can be small things because I think it starts with small initiatives. For instance, when you create a new building to lo also look at the neighborhood, how can you support the neighborhood, things like that. Uh, on the G side of it too, how can you support diversity within the, uh, with, on the work floor? Yeah, all all topics that we've covered uh, separately. We've yeah. uh, we've spoken in early episode with uh, AM mm -hmm. uh, about uh, about communities yeah. um, and also uh, about how to create a a workplace with Unispace with um, uh, that's you know drives uh, diversity and inclusion in in your uh, company. So um, it it fits nicely into what I've heard before in this uh, in this series. And um, I'm also very curious to know your um, vision on the role of investors when we talk about ESG. Are they sort of taking a leading role or are they following the market? Um, I think it's, you know, it's both. I think this also comes from, you see it with the non-financial reporting directives, you know, that comes from the need of investors to know exactly what they are, report, what they are investing in. I think it also starts with us, people, every day, 
demanding where, you know, asking where is our capital going? What are we investing in? What do we want this world to come to? And I think investors now see this responsibility they have to look into more green initiatives, to look at companies with ha which have a strong ESG platform. Because in the end, that's what the long-term value creation, uh, where it will go. So um, I think that investors are realizing this more and more, that in the end, in the beginning, it's you know an investment that you, that you may have to make, the cost part side of it. But in the end, it's the benefits that also, in, on the long run, um, are what make things happen. We ha there are, of course, also a lot of investors who have this long-term vision and long-term uh, investment portfolio uh, for, for whom it might be easier to see the added value of ESG. Of course, there's also value-add investors or uh, investors with a shorter um, uh, time span. Um, how can they incorporate ESG in their investment strategy or why should they well i think even investors that have a short term more short term span they are also looking to sell off the investment in the end and when they do that a new investor will start will look at this so you know it it's always part of even if it's if you're investing in something on the long run or if you're doing it for the short run you still in the end want to have a product which other people wish to buy so in that sense, everything in the end is will look towards long-term value creation. I mean, it's one of the main spear points of the Dutch Corporate Governance Code as well. So you see it in, incorporated there too, that a board is required to look at this and also the, um, the supervisory director is the same. In every episode, we ask someone from Sevels to dive into the Sevels database and bring us a statistic which really stands out and which says something about ESG topics. Today, our guest is Jan de Kwaai. He's Managing Director of Sevels in the Netherlands and Head of Investment. Jan, what is your standout statistic? Um, well, my statistic is number five. And what do you mean with number five? Well, in 2015, the United Nations adopted 17 sustainable development goals to fight extreme poverty. The SDGs, as we know. The SDGs, yeah. uh, inequality, injustice and climate change. Um, and at Savills, we need and want to contribute to these ambitious goals. And we want to do that together with our clients and within the context of the Dutch real estate market. And to this end, Savills PSC selected nine sustainable development goals to work on for the coming years. So the PLC has selected nine of those 17 in total, you say, of the SDGs? Correct. And why has Savills in the Netherlands uh, selected five of those? Well, good question. For this moment, we have chosen five, so we are able to focus on those goals we can create the most impact on. And the other four goals, obviously, will remain on the to-do list. And what five um, uh, SDGs have you selected and why? Um, well, uh, I, I can mention all five or can mention the first one and explain. Well, the first one is gender equality. Yeah. Um, this means, obviously, full participation of women having equal opportunities in leadership and decision making. And we talked about this in, in another episode, the diversity and inclusion, I can imagine, is part of that. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but it's also a challenge for us because um, the real estate market is not very woman-friendly. Um, except for property management, in general, the gender share for valuations, uh, building and project consultancy and commercial departments, there are many more men than women. I experienced that again this year at the Provada Real Estate Fair, which we uh, we just had. That, uh, but it's improving. I must say, this this year 
in, for the first time since I've been there, I've been now for five, six years, there was a line in front of the women's toilets uh, <laughs> during the drinks. So I think we're progressing. Well, I, I truly hope so, uh, but we don't see it in the figures yet. Uh, and is that specifically a problem within um, like uh, 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 commercial uh, functions or higher functions or is it across exactly. the board? Exactly. It is t mainly commercial functions. Um, we see on a job application that 85% of uh, those are men who, who applicate and mm. only 15% are women. And what we need to do to improve that, there's a lot of work uh, to, to be done at a much earlier stage. Uh, for example, um, we have to explain much better uh, our industry, uh, our role as an advisor and the impact we can make. So that's the first SDG, it's gender Correct. equality. What else are you working on at Savills in the Netherlands? Well, the second one is decent work and economic growth. Um, well, preserving the environment is, of course, key to support sustainable economic growth. And the natural environment obviously plays an essential role in supporting economic activities. But I'm not in favor of growth as an economic tool per se. Uh, I understand the need for or an urge for a basic growth, but this is translated as a compulsion to grow with all its negative effects. And you are, of course, part of the management team. Um, uh, of course, in, in, I think in real estate, but also in, yeah, in, in, in our, our peer companies, it's very much focused on shareholder value, more so than maybe stakeholder value. Uh, and also on on quarterly reporting. So, Correct. what can you do as a management team to, yeah, to break down this this focus on on your quarterly figures and and have a more long term uh, business sustainable business growth goals? So, when when Clive and I started, we demanded from Savills that we don't get growth figures every year. We grow what we can. We grow in the sectors where we believe there is growth potential. Uh, and there is sustainable growth, not short-term growth. So having that ability within uh, Savills is a great value to us. So that's an important factor where we believe Savills being a listed company does not force us to make more profit, more returns every year. They accept the fact that we use the market and make money where the market is at that moment in time. I think we've now touched upon two of the goals. Uh, exactly. I don't know if you want to um, discuss all five and, or that you say there's one uh, that I would like to uh, highlight that's important to me personally to make an impact on a long-term uh, basis with Savills. Well, I think um, uh, as part of our business, uh, the impact we can make on, on our clients, I think the third one would be uh, sustainable cities and communities. Through sustainability, we want and we need to reduce the environmental impact of urbanization. As Savills, we have an influence on our clients to choose sustainable options, either in leasing sustainable buildings, acquire sustainable investments, or build and renovate buildings to a high sustainable standard. The governmental regulations push towards the right direction, but it is our job to persuade clients to make an extra effort. Um, Even if they're not asking for it, maybe. Well, yes, exactly. And not only choose the necessary ones. Uh, so if you look at uh, the energy uh, certificate you would need in 2023, which is which energy is label C, C yeah. we, are, we ask and promote uh, our clients to go for uh, an energy label A or even more, a BREAM label, uh, so that it is really sustainable for not, not only the coming five years, but for the 
coming 20 or 30 years. What are the latest trends and developments in the world of ESG? In every episode, I invite my colleague Iris Kampers, ESG advisor at Savills, to inform us on the latest ESG insights. Iris, what would you like to share with us today? So today, let's talk a little bit about what Savills is actually doing internally in our operations, because we've talked a lot about different trends in the market, different types of um, developments that we're doing. Um, but for now, let's just focus on maybe the three priorities that I have at this point in time for our internal operations. Um, the first one we first did, well, everyone starts with the E, as Pauline has already told us in this, uh, in this episode. Um, we started with the E as well. We looked at our carbon footprint first and we found that over 75% of our carbon footprint is currently in mobility. So the types of cars that we drive, the types of travel that we choose whenever we go abroad, um, that kind of thing. So we are finalizing at this point in time a new mobility strategy, looking at different types of mobility, including electric vehicles, uh, electric bikes as well. So Paulina is a very, <laughs> very good I'm a story. big fan of the electric bike. <laughs> yeah. um, so we're, do we're looking into that as well and making it accessible for everyone within our company. Because we found that um, when you try to trigger people to drive more sustainably, um, it's really important to give them many options so that they can choose the option that suits them. That works yes. for them. Yeah. So that's the first one that I'm working on. The second one, um, I'm going on to social. Obviously, we've done an episode on diversity and inclusion already. Um, and in light of that, we have revised our diversity and inclusion policy, and especially our hiring uh, policy to make it less biased. So we did a training on that, and now we've revised the text and we've revised the process that we've already talked about as well to make sure that the questions we ask, whatever candidate is in front of us, we ask them similar questions and that we can make you know, a fair assessment of you know, how they would perform regardless of their cultural background, regardless of their race, gender, whatever. Uh, so that's the second one. And then the third one, um, well, we believe that ESG is becoming a big enough topic that everyone should know about it, at least a little bit. Internally. So, internally. So externally I'm, as well. But externally uh, yeah. as well. I think that everyone should do everything. But no. Um, so, yeah. So we're setting up training uh, to make sure that every single employee within Savills has at least basic knowledge about what is E, what is S, what is G, but also things like the SDGs. Um, why did we choose five? Why not nine like everyone else? Um, what does it really why mean? Why not all 17? Why <laughs> not all 17? Um, and how are we going to um, further incorporate those? So that's the third big part that I'm working on right now to make sure that everyone within Savills has at least the basic knowledge of ESG. And we've now talked about what you are building as Edge, so the, the buildings of the future. Uh, also, how we, our view on the investment market. But what I'm also really curious about is how Edge is incorporating ESG in their own uh, internal operations. So what are you doing in terms of ESG in-house? In so I think, you know, we, I talked a little bit about this platform that we've set up and you see great ideas coming from that and everyone's very enthusiastic about those ideas. But the question is, how do we actually implement them? So my focus very much when I speak with them 
is on, okay, so we, you have an idea. Now look at the processes that are currently in place within Edge. How can we incorporate an idea into a process? For instance, we have an idea to do something with more sustainable buildings, like our net zero uh, carbon strategy um, initiative. That means that when we look at a new project, we need to have a paragraph in there on how we are going to offset the carbon footprint. And that needs to start right from the beginning. You can't come up later at a later stage when the project project is already running and then say, okay, we need to set this off. It needs to be right from the start. So I think it's very important for the ideas to actually be implemented in the processes so that they don't come up at a later point in time and people say, okay, you know, this is going to cost us money now. Uh, it's, it's too late to do it. You need to do that from the start. And in terms of maybe more the social uh, aspect, do you have like a diversity and inclusion policy in place? Yes, we do. Uh, we do have a, a, a policy in place. And I think it's going to be something that especially the coming years is going to uh, ask a lot of attention from us because it's part of our culture too. You know, you're looking with people that feel comfortable within your workforce. Um, how do you create a comfortable platform for everybody to thrive? Um, so I think that's really something that we, all of us are struggling with. We all know that diverse teams make better teams, but it's very hard to see, okay, how does that work then? Just one person doesn't make a difference. You really need to make it balanced. And I think that's something we're always looking for. Um, but does your experience in the um, law uh, firm help you with that? Because I worked in uh, at a law firm myself when I started my career, um, um, and I was responsible for recruitment. And diversity and inclusion was already then a big topic. But what we noticed that we could have a diverse uh, hiring policy, uh, but then also people need to feel at home uh, and included. And that was actually the most difficult part. Yeah, no, it's exactly what I'm saying, that... You know, you need to have a culture within a company that makes everyone feel comfortable. And how do you do that? What kind of a, what a kind of a culture do you create? You know, I think culture is one of the most difficult things, and it's not something you difficult do. Difficult to change as well. Very difficult, and it's not something you do overnight. You really need to think long term in in this. And little changes make a difference. But I think over time, then you will hopefully you will see it. It's not something you can do within a year. It's really you need to have a longer strategy in this. Um, you know, I think our world is becoming much smaller in the sense that we see people coming in from other cultures into the Netherlands, Dutch people moving abroad, speaking much more English. You know, even the, the, the language spoken at the coffee machine is very important. So things like that, I think our culture will become much more integrated with those of others. So hopefully time will help in that as well. But I think HR has an important role to play there too. And for you personally, where does your priority lie? I think my priority at the moment lies, uh, I'm also responsible for HR within Edge. So uh, on the one side, I have the, the more corporate side of things. And the uh, so looking at how are we going to do this for our investors? What kind of investors do we attract? How does Edge work with investors long term? I think that's going to be one side of my job that I will be looking at. On the other side, the HR side of things, you know, we want when we attract new investors and Edge grows, we want to make sure we keep the culture that has made us innovative so far. We don't want to lose that. So that's going to be a big part of my job. And the innovative part of it also requires that we try to build a, a workforce that uh, in which this thrives. So the culture will be a very part important part of my uh, work too. Yeah, and sort of um, protecting your company DNA while growing, growing. Is, a, is a very big challenge. Yeah, no, it definitely is. It definitely is. So 
that's you know really looking forward now with invest new investors coming on board. Edge has recently announced a new investor, and today one is t- as well. So we're very proud of that. Uh, it gives a lot of new opportunity, but I think it it also creates you know more awareness within the company that we need to protect our culture, but also allow others to come in and uh, and learn from us and the other way around too. Of course, we learn from them. Yeah, that very important to sort of move together right and to inspire other companies to also move in the in the right direction we're already coming at the final question i have for you today okay i asked this question to all of my guests and it's about your dream project and if if you would imagine an ideal project where you know time or budget or uh, all those restraints are, are are not in place um how would your dream project look like Well, I have to then, uh, I guess, keep it close to home. So um, Rye Amsterdam at the moment is a company and a place where, you know, it's a, it was built in the 60s, these halls within the center of Amsterdam. At the time, they were at the edge of, the, of Amsterdam, but right now they are really at the center. And I think they really need to think about how are we going to transition into more of a place where uh, everyone is welcome. So not just for events. Uh, Rye Amsterdam was really working on that before I left, and they will be doing so the coming years. And I think it will be very interesting to follow that. I think um, there's a lot of opportunity also be- to, to create a knowledge center there, uh, you know, for students of Amsterdam to come to learn from the events that, that are organized there. We attract people from all over the world. So we need to be more of a part of the fabric of the city, I think, for everyone to really be proud of, of that area and to create a knowledge center where uh, where uh, others profit as well, to be more integrated into the neighborhood and the, the entire city. Can you give an example of a well-integrated uh, area? Well, a well-integrated area, in fact, is just next door, the South Axis. In fact, Rye Amsterdam is part of the South Axis. People officially it is. Yeah. Officially it yeah. is. People don't always know this, but... I really see that uh, the South Axis, you know, the the municipality had a vision for the South Axis and they've been very, uh, very well able to incorporate that. It started off with offices and is now moving much more into living. Um, And there are people within the South Axis parties which actually uh, help with the more uh, living side of the South Axis. So within the South Axis, there's a foundation, uh, Hello Zuidas, which helps a lot with the creating more the living environment within the South Axis. So they look at both uh, sustainability of the South Axis. You have the Green Business Club. They look at logistics, mobility. mobility. They look at safety for people, but they also create a lot of livelihood, so liveliness. So with events going on in the South Axis, I think it's an excellent uh, example of how uh, Rye Amsterdam should be more uh, to to welcome people onto its uh, grounds and to try to integrate it into their surroundings. And maybe the plans that the South Axis have for their development and the and the um, integration with the transport hub will also pull the Rye and the South Axis more together and make it a more integrated. Uh... Let's hope. Let's hope. Yeah. No, but I think they do a great job there on the South Axis uh, on the way they are building and uh, also the way that they are also looking at. Okay, how can we get more sustainable buildings on the South Axis? How can we build it in a more sustainable way? So it's really uh, an all-round ESG area where the social part of it is uh, important as well. I totally agree. The social part is a, is a big part of working Absolutely. at the South Texas. Um, thank you, Pauline Bottema, General Counsel and Corporate Secretary at Edge Technologies. And thank you, listeners, for listening to this podcast episode. 
Please subscribe if you don't want to miss a thing. And don't forget to give us a rating in your favorite podcast app.